0: And welcome once again to Father Spitzer's Universe at the intersection where faith and reason meet. Sometimes get along, for the most part they do, but sometimes conflict at least in people's minds. That's why we have this program. I'm Doug Keck, the gatekeeper here. That's why we got Father Spitzer. And you can email your questions to him at, at ew 10com And this is a Q&A show all built around those questions, so make sure you send them to us on a regular basis. Check out all of Father Spitzer's websites, themagiccenter.com, purposefuluniverse.com, and Spitzercenter.org, if you would. And of course, Father Spitzer's universe is always available on our EW10 YouTube channel and EW10 on demand page. And during the year of Eucharistic Revival, be sure to check out all of our programs on the Eucharist. Shows like Deacon Howell Burke Sivers and Father Mariah milady's series on the Eucharist, A Taste of Heaven on Earth, and Scott hans The Lamb's Supper will deepen your faith the most blessed sacrament. Boy, could we use it now, and it's always free, always available, and it's always on demand. And of course, today, we're answering your questions, so with that the case, I have to turn to the Answer Man himself out on the West Coast, and (laughs) he will, in fact, lead us in prayer, if you go ahead. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Mm
1: -hmm. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings to us, the blessing especially of this ministry and our ability to serve in it. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit down upon us now, Doug, myself, our whole audience, so that everything we do and say and hear will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church and your kingdom, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. And Mary,
0: seat of wisdom, Pray Pray for for us. us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen, always uh, good to be with you, Father. So, we've got some questions we've built up over some of the weeks that we haven't been able to get to, so we wanted to devote a show to uh, catching up on some of those. So, you ready? Oh, great. Yes, I'm ready. Uh, Okay. Uh, Dear Father Spitzer, (laughs) I love the Mass and consider receiving Jesus in the Most Holy Sacrament, the most important Part of my daily activity. Where I attend daily mass, the music is loud, ugly, and hard to bear. It's difficult to attend daily mass elsewhere. Fortunately, where I attend Sunday mass, the music is beautiful. How do I handle the distraction of the music at daily mass? Do I just bear it as a penance? I don't want to stop going. This is from a Catholic in Northern California.
1: Um, Well, I would just say two things. First of all, Um, there are a lot of daily masses that don't have any music Um, maybe you're in a very small area and you don't have a lot of possibilities uh, for masses but um, boy I would try and find another mass Um, uh, as I said the majority of daily masses do not have music or very little so um, if you don't live in a rural area it should be somewhat easy to find but uh, you know my advice if you do uh, hear it is just offer it up Hmm. as you're getting ground away there because um, I don't see really any alternative. If you don't have an alternative to the Mass, uh, you can't ask them to not do their music. So um, I'd probably just offer it up uh, uh, to the Lord and uh, just for um, uh, maybe that uh, everybody else uh, in, the, in the church is not feeling like you do.
0: <laughs> That's right. You never know. You never know. Next yeah. up, uh, dear Father Spitzer, I LOST MY DEAR MOTHER THIS YEAR WHO LIVED WITH ME FOR 19 YEARS. I WAS HER CAREGIVER. I HAVE BEEN TOLD THAT WE WILL SEE OUR LOVED ONES AGAIN IN HEAVEN. HOWEVER, ONE PRIEST SAID WE WON'T. I PRAY I'LL SEE MY PARENTS AGAIN. THANK YOU FOR YOUR INSIGHT. I ENJOY YOUR SHOW uh, WITH DOUG VERY MUCH. THIS IS LYNN. I HOPE YOU HAVE SOME GOOD NEWS FOR HER, RIGHT?
1: yeah I mean Lynn I I don't know where that came from but uh you most I mean heaven is going to be a relationship with people uh you know and and of course uh, the the people who matter to you I mean why in the world would the Lord ever deprive you from seeing the people that you uh, uh that you knew and were close to uh your parents etc I mean I just can't even imagine it I I don't know where that would have been found in in Catholic doctrine and so uh, uh um, well, I mean, obviously, I think your dear mother is going to go mm-hmm. to heaven, and I think you're going to go to heaven. I'm preaching the choir here, so uh, you're going to see her in heaven. And uh, that, that, that's a definitive yes for me. So I'm not sure uh, where that priest uh, was coming from. Uh, maybe you misunderstood something he said. I don't know. But um, really, there's no precedent right. for that uh, um,
0: in any uh, uh, doctrine of Catholicism that I've seen. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, next up, uh, dear Father Spitzer, I have a problem with thinking that heaven is strictly spiritual in nature since as a Catholic we're taught that Christ rose from the dead body and soul and that the Blessed Virgin was assumed into heaven body and soul. Can you comment on this, Virginia, talking about heaven?
1: Yeah, uh, sure, Virginia. I mean, uh, two things to, to remember is, yes, you, you're, um, you will have a body in heaven, BUT IT'S GOING TO BE TRANSFORMED, AS ST. PAUL TELLS US, uh, INTO a, a GLORIFIED BODY uh, that would be likened to Christ's mm-hmm. glorified body, right? So this is going to be not um, the body that is subject to physical laws and structures that you have right now. It's going to be uh, what Paul, St. Paul would call a pneumatic, soma, mm-hmm. uh, a spiritual body, and that spiritual body won't just be like a spirit, like a um, you know a ghostly body. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is actually going to be glorious. It's going to be powerful. Uh, it's going to certainly have Mm -hmm. features that are akin to the features that you have now um, in in some way, but it will not be subject to physical laws and structures. Uh, It will definitely be spiritual, powerful, glorious, majestic, just like Jesus's risen body was, so will your risen body be. So get ready for glory because that's what it'll be like, but it will Mm -hmm. definitely be both spirit
0: and body, a spiritual body. Okay, very good. Okay, next up, uh, dear Father Spitzer, Jesus said to Peter, on this rock I will build my church. Now, my daughter who follows the Old Testament asked me where does the Bible say that this was the Catholic Church, Leonore? Well, um, it's very simple. Uh, There was
1: only one church (laughs) that Jesus started and that is the Catholic Church. It started off with St. Peter and all the rest of those popes were actually designated and appointed um, you know, uh, by, the, the apost- uh, by uh, uh, Peter initially, of course, and then upon his, uh, um, you know, passing mm-hmm. by uh, uh, the other popes um, and uh, um, apostles uh, that followed the, um, the Apostle Apostolic Church. Mm-hmm. And so um, I have actually a section on this, um, you know, in, in a previous book. So if you want to just go to escape from evil's darkness Mm -hmm. and just read chapter one, you can get a full explanation of it. But no, the Catholic Church was the church that Jesus gave the keys to Peter, right, Uh, and made him, right, Jesus, in Jesus' own church, started, uh, you know, a church with an office of highest supreme juridical authority. That's what that passage in Matthew means. And upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of the netherworld will never prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. Whatsoever you declare bound on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you declare loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So Mm -hmm. the main thing there is there is that apostolic authority that actually has the Put the capability of legislating, as it were, uh, uh, and, ju- and passing juridical judgments and teaching judgments mm-hmm. that will be effective Fine. also in heaven and for heaven. So, yeah, that, um, that was given, uh, that first office was given to Peter, but Jesus did not intend to stop it there with Peter. I mean, uh, obviously, Jesus could look around him and see, hmm, now what will happen if I don't have a supreme juridical and teaching authority in my church? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to have Essenes and Pharisees and Sadducees right. and Zealots, all of whom are at each other's throats, and that's going to have subsections of Pharisees and Sadducees and Zealots and Essenes and so forth and so on. This is not going to be good. Every time we have a disagreement, we're going to get a new church. I'm going to stop that, nip it in the bud right away. So he forms an office of highest juridical and supreme authority. He gives that office uh, to to the first holder, St. Peter. And then, of course, we have the um, various transitioning of saints. We have, of course, uh, Pope Clement. um, And, uh, you know, since he took office in 88, Um, You know, uh, um, um, whether or not he was known uh, by Peter, um, well, he Mm -hmm. certainly probably was known by Peter, uh, but of course he couldn't have been appointed by Peter who was martyred in 68. So, you know, uh, uh, there is, um, you know, uh, uh, two popes in between, Mm -hmm. uh, Linus and Cletus. Uh, So you can, yeah, you can see uh, both of those there. And uh, it just kept on going, and that was right. the Catholic Church. The only thing that's not the Catholic Church, um, you know, these uh, uh, the Orthodox Church, of course, it, it gets its, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, it was detached mm-hmm. from the Roman Catholic Church uh, in the 13th century, and then of course you've got the uh, um, the uh, uh, you know Protestant Reformation. So there, in the 16th century, you've got a a series of detachments going on, but the you know, the the, the Lutheran detachment was the primary one and right. then from there it kind of was detachments from detachments from detachments. So they were no longer detaching from the Roman Catholic Church, they were detaching from the Lutheran Church, the Calvinistic right. Church, et cetera, et cetera. Well they didn't, so, uh, I mean, they didn't want one
0: pope, they just mm-hmm. wanted multiple popes except uh, individual popes of every <laughs> church basically is what you end up
1: with.
0: <laughs> Every pastor. Yeah, a pope, well,
1: you wind so. up, sir. Yeah, well, that's true, and uh, that's uh, unfortunately to give pastors supreme juridical authority is going to be really problematic because what it'll do is proliferate churches mm. like there's nobody's business, and that's exactly what happened. I mean, there's at least five thousand denominations uh, that have actually. Uh, Come about by the Protestant's own estimation Mm -hmm. uh, since uh, the Protestant Reformation 500 years ago. So you can pretty much see, you know, holy mackerel, you know, that's uh, that's a lot of uh, that's uh, 10 new churches a year. So that's so many,
0: so many now. It seems like the proliferation is what's called the non-denominational, which, in in other words, is basically a mixture or a hodgepodge of uh, particular pastors' belief systems, which you know, might incorporate yep. uh, some Baptist, some Episcopalians, some Methodist and basically you go and find yep. the church that agrees with you, right? Exactly. Absolutely. And so, um,
1: uh, pretty clear, um, uh, people do a lot of church shopping, but mm-hmm. um, the Catholic
0: Church was the church started by Jesus Christ and that mm-hmm. is indisputable. Right. I remember Father Benedict Groeschel used to said, if I could pick the church, I'd be a Quaker but the founder of the Quakers was not Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ founded the Catholic Church, (laughs) so I needed to belong to his church, whether I liked it or not. That was kind of his point on that. The other question I was gonna ask you, and you were talking about the keys of the kingdom and St. Peter binding and loosening. Well, you know, sometimes, uh, and recently, there's been some even discussions, but over the years, there's always different times where the pope will say this or say that, and people say, well, he can't change the teachings of the church you know, he can nuance things and things like that or emphasize things, but he can't change the teachings. But then you read and says, well, right. isn't he in charge of binding and loosening? So can he, can he change the teachings? Or can he?
1: No, he, no, he cannot change the, uh, the past um, uh, teachings of a pope. Mm. And of course, uh, that would be perfectly obvious uh, to him, uh, not only because it's in canon law, but because from the very beginning, of course, once you know, um, an ecumenical council declared something mm-hmm. as solemnly true, um, it's not going to change mm-hmm. um, because that declaration is binding. It's as binding as a priest's uh, absolution in the confessional, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, there's no, no possibility of changing it. Now there's you know, what we call, um, that would be extraordinary magisterium, right? So if a church council with the approval of the pope solemnly proclaims something. You're not mm-hmm. changing that. Um, but uh, there are is, uh, things called ordinary magisterium. An ordinary magisterium, uh, which would be, for example, a bishop who on his authority uh, says X or Y, um, or the church uh, in various regional councils have said X or Y, um, you c- it's, it's, there's possibilities Um, that uh, ordinary magisterium, uh, which normally does not change. Uh, You could have, if you had uh, some change in circumstance upon which um, something was based, uh, that could change. So, for example, regional councils will say, oh, you know, um, uh, our best interpretation of this papal document is that you ought to do this and this to... Uh, foster the environment Mm -hmm. but then there could be something that that changes uh, that that could be um you know relevant but Mm -hmm. by and large if something is extraordinary uh magisterium if a pope declares it to be um, ex cathedra or an ecumenical council uh, solemnly proclaims it with the approval of the pope there's no change in Uh, that and of course prudential judgments Mm -hmm. um, you know that's really based on you so if you say well um, you know how are you going to carry out um, just wage and just um, uh, prices in your business or something of that nature there are just so many different opinions of that but that of course is not based on doctrine that particular Uh, you know, um, uh, you know, price that you come up with or uh, wage sequence that you Mm -hmm. come up with. uh, That's not a matter of your salvation. Uh, You can say, of course, it's based on my best judgment, my prudential judgment, but your prudential judgment, of course, is conditioned by time, by culture, by various situational frameworks, and those things could change. Mm -hmm. So a prudential judgment Mm -hmm. can never be uh, something which is an absolute picture. Uh,
0: okay. Very good. Next up, uh, dear Father Spitzer, on a previous show, someone posed a question about giving their free will over to their guardian angel to help in their temptation to pornography. Is a guardian angel ever willing to take control of a person's free will, or could the no. angel that person feels close to in reality be a demon? Uh, and that's Linda. So obviously, you can't give your free will to uh, an angel. What about, could it yeah, possibly... Yeah, you, you
1: can't give... Yeah.
0: Go ahead. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you can't give your free will to, to a guardian angel. You can't give your free will uh, to, uh, to anybody. Now you can say, um, you know, to uh, um, you know, if you, you know, the, a demon says, you know, bow down and worship me, mm-hmm. uh, y- you could say, um, uh, well, um, I guess maybe I'll do that. And that that's your free act mm-hmm. uh, to do that. But just remember, if you do that, you know, you're going to have to still have your freedom intact. You can't give it over to that demon, right? Because if you want to change your mind, and God will always respect your capacity to change your mind, even if you did something horribly, horribly uh, serious like that, uh, you could still uh, technically change your mind, but most people who pledge themselves over to demons do not, mm-hmm. and of course their fate is already sealed by right. their free choice. Right. So yeah, you're not. You can't give your free will over to someone.
0: Well, if you, how can you give something that once you give it to so him, you, you no longer have? Tr- I mean, then it's no longer free, and yeah. it's no longer your, your will. So yeah. right? no, exactly, <laughs> right, right, exactly. So. All right, dear Father Spitzer. On a previous show, you discussed marriage statistics and the effects divorce has on the children. Is there a difference between children raised by a single mother in which the father abandoned the family and those children raised by a single mother who was widowed? I would suspect that those children raised by a widow would have less problems with feeling abandoned and have better outcomes. This is John, interesting question.
1: That's a correct uh, statement, John, yes. Uh, You know, clearly, to begin with, uh, children, if, if the father dies, they know uh, that the father did not uh, abandon them, or that uh, the breakup of the relationship, you know did not abandon. Now, that doesn't mean that the child, um, whose father dies is not going to have some problems, right. but the the main thing is is they are going to have problems. They're still going to need the support of the dad. But a mother can do two things that will be very very helpful. Say the father died in a war, an automobile accident, or something like that. Um, then uh, the child understands uh, that the father is in heaven, and the first thing for the mom to do mm-hmm. is to talk about that. Uh, you know, dad is watching out over us. You know, he's in heaven now and, and um, you know, he's with us spiritually. And so there's not an abandonment. There's, mm-hmm. you can always bring up that the dad is with us spiritually. The second thing is to have some pictures of the dad mm-hmm. and so forth around the house um, so that the memory of the father is intact and so that the child can remember that he was loved And, of course, you know, call to mind uh, the Father's spiritual presence, and that can really, really be helpful. Of course, that doesn't happen uh,
0: in the case of divorces. Right. Okay, very good. Uh, Next up, Dear Father Spitzer, very timely topic. Uh, Anti-Semitism seems remarkably pervasive. Do you think it is encouraged by the devil's hatred of the Jewish people? They were God's chosen people, and Jesus came to us through them. Mary.
1: Well, Mary, uh, uh, the devil hates uh, everybody equally. Uh, So, um, I mean, uh, uh, he's gonna hate Catholics as much and uh, he's gonna hate uh, Jewish people as much because the devil wishes uh, the destruction, the hatred, the undermining of every uh, single human being so that they will wind up in hell. Mm -hmm. That's his objective. And so, um, uh, again, Uh, Do the Jewish people, um, would the devil focus on the Jewish people? If he thought he could get any advantage whatsoever uh, to discouraging people or to have, um, uh, you know, to break up culture more, uh, to break up, um, uh, you uh, you know, our sense of connectivity with one another more anything that would give him an advantage to undermining culture, undermining relationships, undermining religion, undermining, uh, you know, um, a specific group of people, he will do. Uh, I mean, there's just no question about it. So do I think anti-Semitism is being stoked by him? Oh, absolutely, because I think anti-Semitism is horrible for our culture. I think it is not only divisive for the culture, but, of course, it, it, it takes away our, our, unit, our unity of our solidarity with Mm -hmm. one another, not only as a country, but also our solidarity with one another as a Judeo-Christian people. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, the devil's obviously going to stoke that as much as possible. And if he sees a bunch of people who are Mm -hmm. anti-Semitic, of course he's going to try and stoke that uh, as much as he can uh, in order to Mm -hmm. get all of his, you know, nefarious, um, you know, uh, um you know plans uh into operation and actualized mm-hmm. so um you know i would say that it's not like they're more hated mm-hmm. uh it's just that um uh you know um uh he can see a lot of advantages uh, mm-hmm. or he can take advantage of people's prejudices uh, to stoke that hatred and of course as he yeah. uh, He's a non-discrimination person in Mm -hmm. terms of uh... stoking bias uh... privilege genocide uh... marginalization as much as he can Mm -hmm. and he'll take advantage of whatever the situation provides
0: yeah it's interesting too because you know what we're seeing uh... and have seen over the last year uh, is is a lot of this coming out of uh... you know the left Uh, You know, it was kind of the kind of thing that, you know, the KKK and those kind, you know, the Nazis on the right, this is kind of this Uh anti-Semitic thing that's there. And we're seeing, you know, not that that doesn't exist in in its subsets out there as well, especially on the Internet, but you're seeing a lot of this coming out of a a more extreme left and, and, and in many ways, surprisingly, at least to many people. Who haven't been following out out of universities and things like that? Where 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 do you think that comes from?
1: Well, I think right now, um, anti-Semitism is not being willed uh, by the universities. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are uh, trying to basically. Um, you know be Mm pro-Palestinian and so you know in taking a a radically pro-Palestinian position Mm -hmm. uh, if they have to in order to do that if they have to marginalize the Jewish people they are at least indirectly stoking Mm anti-semitism and they should not be doing that I mean uh, you know to, to be quite frank I mean, some of the uh, statements that have been made on the university campuses in order to promote the Palestinian cause have been uh, horribly anti-Semitic, and mm-hmm. they should stop that uh, absolutely immediately mm-hmm. uh, because uh, the the indirect effect of that is is um, uh, not only going to be bad for the Jewish uh, people, mm-hmm. uh, but it's going to be terribly bad for our culture as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And it seems like it fits into in a lot of ways some of the identity politics that we're dealing with with the, the, oh, this absolutely. new this new construct of kind of the oppressed and the oppressor. So if you happen to be in the quote unquote oppressed yeah. group, whatever's happening to you is being done by the oppressor, hence the oppressor has to be evil.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're right on the marker. I think that's uh, it is a definite byproduct of identity politics, but it really is a a byproduct which is contrary to the spirit of this nation, uh, which is that you don't um, uh, pick on other people. Uh, who have been illegitimately invaded mm-hmm. you can't just uh, you know um, uh, pick on them simply because they're going to defend themselves or mm-hmm. uh, try and at least uh, uh, you know, protect themselves in the future now you can uh, you know say whatever you wish but when you where you cross the line is you say there's something wrong with those people right you know and the minute you move from well should they have taken this amount of action uh, you know, to um, uh, to uh, uh, should they have invaded the Gaza Strip uh, this much? That's a question right. for ethics, morality, for geopolitics, etc. But the minute you start saying those people, mm-hmm. those Jewish people, uh, you know, and right. um, y- you do it in a pejorative way, right. you've really stepped over. Uh, right, you have to the, get the uh, ad hominem
0: the attacks, and the where you start denigrating yeah. people, that they're not really people in which case it's okay for you to hate them and destroy them.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're not individuals, they're oppressors. Right. The minute you brand them as oppressors, well obviously all Jewish people, all Jewish people in government are not oppressors. Absolutely. But if you start branding them that way, uh, obviously Mm -hmm. that's where the anti-Semitism bias comes from what's called a generic bias and of course it's not only logically wrong, it's ethically wrong, and of course from the Catholic Church's point of view, it's religiously wrong.
0: Right, and it's absolutely what the Nazis did. I remember Mein Kampf, the description Hitler came up with, was Europe was a big department store and the Jews were running it, so if you had problems, it was their fault. They were the enemy, so. Yeah,
1: exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, they're the oppressors,
0: quote unquote. Next up, Dear Father Spitzer, If we pray for the dead not knowing whether a soul is in Heaven or Hell, can that soul come back from Hell to Heaven permanently? Matt.
1: Well, Matt, uh, in my opinion, no. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, You know, uh, I don't think uh, a soul is going to come back from Hell to Heaven. Uh, To begin with, when God makes that judgment, um, you know, basically uh, he's making the judgment on the basis of where he thinks that soul will be throughout its eternity. So if that person, by the time they die, has made a decision sufficiently to show uh, the Lord that they're not going to change radically, um, you know, uh, especially if they don't repent when, you know, at at their death when God gives you know, um, uh, you know, people that chance, Mm -hmm. I mean, for all intents and purposes, uh, I don't believe that you can pray a person out of hell. Mm -hmm. Can you pray a person more quickly out of purgatory? I think the Mm -hmm. the church has always taught that our prayers are helpful. But Mm -hmm. the condition needed to get out of purgatory is that our soul has to be purified. Mm -hmm. So basically when you're praying for a person in in purgatory, you are praying that that person will freely purify Mm -hmm. himself from what is uh, preventing him from inheriting the kingdom of heaven, of being in that radically transparent non-narcissistic, non-egotistical love relationship in heaven, Mm -hmm. there's some obstacle. What you're doing is praying that that person will freely reject that obstacle and freely move uh, toward uh, the love of of God, the purer love of God without that ego obstacle in heaven.
0: Yeah because I mean if 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 you're going through purgation and you're in purgatory you will be in heaven it's just a question of how long that takes right right
1: exactly and of course it's uh, you know part of that is your freedom mm. uh, you know in terms of freely choosing to be purified mm. and that is a, a big deal so I mean so long as you f- you know get the job done and of course God has put you there because you will get the job done it's just uh, but the, the timing of that in many respects is uh, you know would I cooperate mm-hmm. well I'll tell you I I think I would be motivated to cooperate but then I know my own stubbornness and sinfulness and I'm not so sure I I would be instantaneous about giving up everything that's in my little ego there and uh, so uh, anyway just pray right. that uh, that that person you know freely choose to enter into the purification process very very rapidly okay and that would be um, the main thing. But yeah. I don't think God has sentences, if you will. Okay. You know, that when you die, you're getting uh, 40 years like in prison, mm-hmm. and uh, there ain't no compromise. I think uh, much of our purgation really depends on
0: whether we cooperate it, uh, with it in purgatory or nope. not. Okay, very good. With yeah. that, we're going to take a break speaking with Father Spitzer, answering your questions. Much more ahead. Stay with us after this quick break. Thank you so much for staying with us for part two of Father Spitzer's Universe. Today, we are answering your questions sent in by you. But first, I want to remind you about that national Eucharistic revival that's coming up on July 17th to the 21st, 2024. Indianapolis, Indiana. Celebrate the power of the Eucharist with us. EW10 will be there in all our glory. Our people will be there. Father Spitzer will be speaking there. Uh, Monty Alvarado, be one of the hosts, will be covering everything, but we want you to be there. Find out more about it. Go to EW10.com forward slash Eucharist to see how you can register at discounted rates through EW10. And I know they're offering some uh, new deals available uh, for families <laughs> and for individuals on a daily basis. So go and see how you might be able to make that work for you and your family. We'll go back to Father Spitzer and uh, let's see. Here's another question for you, Father. Uh, person writes to us, dear father spitzer is there such thing as a masonic curse my grandfather was a serious mason who never knew any of his grandchildren my grandmother was eastern star although her parents were catholic my own family suffers from things like alcoholism serious sexual relationship problems and other maladies was it the catholic what is the catholic approach to this issue and this is Anne. and obviously recently the church had come back in the fall and talked about the idea that a practicing Catholic should not be a Mason, to, to reiterate that, that that was problematic. Yeah. So.
1: Well, um, Ann, I'm not an expert in um, the Masonic uh, area, but I will just simply say this. Uh, curses uh, can take place. Uh, but just remember that when a person curses another uh, human being um, the first person that's going to get the negative effects of the Mm. curse are the person who's doing it uh, because of course that means you're cooperating with an evil spirit in order to get this bad effect to happen secondly if a person who is cursed has religious uh, you know, they're, they're religious, that is to say, in, in, in the Catholic terms, uh, they're uh, going to church regularly, they're receiving the Holy Eucharist uh, respectfully, they're um, uh, uh, going to confession on a regular basis. That curse will have very little effect on that person. I mean, you know, uh, obviously uh, you can, um, you know, the, the evil spirit will go ahead and uh, bug a person or something of that mm-hmm. nature. I mean, he wanted to bug Padre Pio, John Vianney, and a bunch of other great saints. But the main thing, though, is is that uh, um, you know. What does it matter? You know, those guys just you know they sloughed it off. I mean, I mean, uh, what can you do? Mm -hmm. I mean, but uh, the point is, is is that going to jeopardize their salvation? No. Uh, Can that curse actually become fully effective? No. If, like I keep telling people, if you receive the Holy Eucharist regularly, and if you're going to confession regularly, and you're trying to follow the teaching of Jesus, I'm not kidding you. I mean, you know, the evil spirit has very little power over you. Uh, Curse or no curse, Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit has very little power over you. Now, getting back to your question with respect to Masonry, I have heard, actually, I have, um, you know, um, uh, uh, heard, yeah, from, uh, um, you know, some of the readings that people have uh, uh, read to me that on the higher levels of Masonry, uh, there are various kinds of curses Mm -hmm. um, that take place, and there are various rituals that actually uh, have almost a demonic orientation. Hmm. Now, is this true? Have I validated it? I, I don't know whether it's true, and I certainly have not validated it, but my thought would be, just in light of the Holy See's previous proclamation, right. you, you should stay away from masonry, certainly stay away from the higher levels of masonry, and frankly, just keep going to church, keep receiving communion, um, faithfully and, and, and uh, going to confession. Keep trying to follow the teaching of Jesus right. and
0: uh, basically, you're protected. You, you don't have anything to worry about. Right, very good. Okay, next up, dear Father Spitzer, there seems to be a growing argument that animals are capable of morality. Examples such as the gorilla saving the <laughs> child. Uh, I don't know if this is Nim Chimpsky here. It's not, I don't think it's him. But examples such uh, as the gorilla saving the child who falls in the pen at the zoo. The animal who grieves death, the dog who lowers his head in shame and guilt when caught chewing up the furniture. Wish my dog did that. Or the dog, not that he doesn't chew the furniture, but he doesn't look very sad when he does it. Or the dog who protects his master from assault are often used to justify the idea. Can animals indeed be capable of morality, or is this emotion-driving behavior? Chris.
1: Yeah, it's, it's Chris, your second explanation, I wouldn't call it too much emotion, it's instinct. <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, plus, and part of the instincts that human uh, that uh, animals have, you know, animals do have a form of empathy. Mm-hmm. No question about that. So if uh, an animal is very bonded with someone, mm-hmm. right, uh, no question about it, they will be protective. Now, I'm going to talk about protection instincts because protective instincts, especially protection of a master or protection of a child, right, or, you know, maybe, a, a, you know, uh, you'd say, well, that was a human child and not a gorilla child, but that uh, kind of protection of children uh, instinct uh, combined with some sort of a sense of bonding uh, actually can give rise mm-hmm. uh, to activities that really do look like um, moral activities. But in fact, they're not moral activities. Um, so the gorilla is not debating, for example, um, you know, should I uh, do X or Y so uh, you know and then uh, you know and he then rationally reflects on you know um, what his conscience is telling him uh, you know and do gorillas uh, um, you know um, feel that no they do not do that in the least Uh, first of all uh, you know they there's no real evidence that uh, gorillas have a conscience And of course, a conscience is predicated upon having a rational faculty. And as I've said many, many times, uh, gorillas don't have rational faculties. They don't think abstractly. They don't have what we call conceptual ideas. Yes, gorillas have perceptual ideas. Yes, gorillas dream yes gorillas have empathy Mm -hmm. uh you know and dogs have empathy and i'll tell you one thing dolphins have real empathy i Mm -hmm. i mean you know uh if if uh uh, for example if a kid is swimming or something and sharks come into the neighborhood even though dolphins are not protecting a baby dolphin Mm -hmm. which of course they're instinctually programmed to do they will transfer over and they will protect that human being Hmm. uh, because there's some empathy with the human being and so uh empathy does uh, extend the protective instincts of animals uh, very very much now in terms of the uh, dog that hangs his head in shame mm-hmm. after chewing the furniture obviously does not apply to doug's dog right. the main thing though is uh, uh, that is really a different instinct so it's not the protective um, instinct, uh, then being supplemented by empathy. Uh, that particular thing is the dog wants to please the bonded master. Right. But here again, that desire, um, you know, the, uh, to uh, please a master or to please the leader, that's a very common instinct um, in animals. Uh, you know, that that idea of um, obeying, as it were. Um, the leader obeying the master. Now, that can be supplemented again with empathy Mm -hmm. so that instead of having the leader of the pack, the dog is not, you know, finding its wolf pack, sort of, Mm -hmm. um, you know, a leader. Uh, He can transfer empathetically right, because he empathizes with the master, the leadership instinct gets transferred to the human being, Mm -hmm. and therefore if the human being shows real displeasure and anger at having his furniture chewed, (laughs) the dog will hang his head in shame. Mm -hmm. But make uh, no mistake about it, uh, that dog is operating on instinct, Uh, he's not thinking to himself ahead of time, if I chew the furniture that's going to be a BAD ACT, AN INTRINSICALLY BAD ACT. I'M DESTROYING THE FURNITURE OF, uh, of a, YOU KNOW, that, THAT DOESN'T BELONG TO ME. That YOU KNOW, BELIEVE ME, THE, the, uh, the GORILLA DOES NOT HAVE A SENSE, of, OR THE DOG, IN THIS CASE, DOES NOT HAVE A SENSE OF EGO belong to me, the, the dog or the gorilla does not right. have a rational faculty that can do abstract thinking. Therefore God didn't give gorillas and dogs consciences because con- the operation of conscience is predicated on having a me and is predicated on having a rational faculty. Well without mm-hmm. those two things, why would God give, you know, the conscience can't operate. So um, to be honest with you, it's a great mm-hmm. question but um, uh, dogs and right. um, uh, dolphins and so forth and gorillas, right. uh, they have, do not have conscience, they do not have self-consciousness or ego, they do not have uh, a rational faculty, and therefore they do not and are not uh, moral uh, creatures like us. They are basically still instinctual right. creatures that do have a real uh, interesting, um, you know, empathy, uh, which is a, a high level of bonding, mm-hmm. um, you know, which, uh, you know, God gave empathy to, to dogs uh, right. uh, and to dolphins
0: and to gorillas. Well, my conscience forced me to mention that my wife would want you, everybody to know our dog Moose would not chew on the furniture. He's, he's a very good boy. <laughs> so wanted to say that before I got (laughs) home. Uh, Coming up next, uh, uh, (laughs) Dear Father Spitzer, the Bible does Mm. not indicate that Adam and Eve showed any remorse for sin when questioned by God. Instead Adam blamed Eve and Eve blamed the serpent. If they would have simply acknowledged their sin and repented instead of trying to shift the blame, do you think the expulsion from the Garden of Eden would have still occurred? Dennis.
1: Well, Dennis, you know, the expulsion from the Garden of Evil, uh, of Eden, excuse me, is the, is, it's basically the evil that, that, uh, uh, you know, pervaded human consciousness, Um, you know, you know, it's now translated, we say today, it's concupiscence, right? So, this is a symbolic way of talking about the, the previous relationship that our first parents had. With God, that unmitigated vision, that ability, as it were, uh, you know, even in their uh, uh, primitive state, right? They certainly mm-hmm. had a sense of God, a sense of God's purpose and conscience, that we do not have today. They had a closeness to God, by saying, "Banished from the Garden of Eden." What that means is, uh, you know, not so much, the, you know, being you know, barred from a garden, um, which is a metaphor, but actually that we are now, our relationship with God has been, um, trans, uh, well, badly changed, mm-hmm. right? we now, you know, we're at least 51% good, but we're certainly not 100% good. Our relationship with God is much weakened. We're seeing through a glass darkly and because of all of that, uh, we are subject to, as it were, you know, a push towards sin, what we might call concupiscence, a susceptibility to sin that we did not have before. So, um, uh, forgiveness, uh, that wouldn't have, uh, you know, uh, done the trick. The damage had been done, uh, basically. Of course, God forgave Adam and Eve if they did they had remorse uh, for it? But alas, mm-hmm. uh, you know the rupture uh, of the relationship that uh, was once there, uh, that was maintained and continues to be maintained. Uh, you know, concupiscence still tends to be in the world, uh, as Chesterton mm-hmm. put it. So. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, plainly, you know, uh, original sin, I don't find that a hard doctrine right. to believe in at all. I find it the most obvious one. So, I mean, right. uh, I sort of agree with that. If we look well, around us, we it, see concupiscence. Isn't that much, where uh, one
0: of the big mistakes people make with the the idea of thinking that if, if that since all sin is structural or because issues always are a matter of structure that people are, are just not basically good. They're, 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 ta- they're fine, They're way they are. And, and it's society that warps them. So if you just fix society, people just naturally do the right thing. And we're seeing over the last couple of years yeah. with, I think, some attempts in the law enforcement area of dealing with maybe some problems that did exist, this, this pendulum swing to thinking that people just are going to do the right thing because they do the right thing. And it doesn't seem to work that way.
1: No, it doesn't, because there's a confusion there between internal constraint and external constraint. Mm -hmm. An internal constraint is where I not only have, my conscience tells me this is what I ought to do, but I'm strong enough to follow what my conscience wants. And that's called an internal uh, constraint. Mm -hmm. Whereas um, an external constraint is where I control people from outside. So I put some structures into place, I put some legal, uh you know uh, procedures into place i put some jails into place i uh, you know i put hire more police to be on the road and so forth let's call those external constraints now the whole of political philosophy has has been this debate but the church is very clear on this our internal constraint mechanism uh concu- you know has been uh, sort of damaged by concupiscence it's not been fully ruined uh, mm-hmm. that would be the calvinistic point of view right mm-hmm. that uh, we're kind of 100% fallen uh, the catholic church believes well no uh, at most we're 49% fallen mm-hmm. uh, internally so we do have internal constraint mechanisms uh, that are there but we are severely weakened you mm-hmm. um, know and, and so external constraints Uh, that would be where I try to put things into place uh, so that I, you know, if internal constraint doesn't work, then there's going to be these external constraints like you're going to jail Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of police out there and some courts that are going to enforce this and you just can't get away with undermining public safety. So that um, is, uh, you know, obviously going to be, uh, you know, um, uh, forwarded. Mm -hmm. Now, if you look at the history of political philosophy, you can see Um, what's going on there so you get a guy like Jean-Jacques Rousseau Rousseau believed you know people were naturally good right and so because of that you really didn't need a police force you didn't need a lot of external constraint but then you get these guys like Thomas Hobbes and Niccolo Machiavelli AND THEY BELIEVE, WELL, PEOPLE ARE JUST INTRINSICALLY BAD. YOU KNOW, I MEAN, if, you're, IF YOU DON'T CONTROL THEM FROM OUTSIDE, IF YOU DON'T HAVE A STRONG GOVERNMENT, IF YOU DON'T HAVE, uh, uh, YOU KNOW, a, a WHOLE LOT OF JAILS AND A WHOLE LOT OF FORCE AND A WHOLE LOT OF EXTERNAL AUTHORITY, uh, we're going to destroy ourselves, and you know, and that's why uh, Hobbes's great statement, you know, life is brutish, ugly, and short. That was his view <laughs> of the human person uh, without legal constraints. And of course, the Prince, you know, uh, in, in in the Prince, Niccolo Machiavelli says, hey, you know, mm. the Prince has got to exert a whole bunch of, uh, you know, uh, authority and and force, and he's really justified in doing just about whatever he pleases to maintain mm-hmm. uh, order within the palace because people are just so wacko they're just so out of place you gotta force them into line right. well the truth of course lies somewhere in between I mean Rousseau's romantic vision of you know the uh, the, the pure native person right. that has been undis you know uh, 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 you know um, uh, free of destruction by societal influences. Mm. Nobody believes that either. So the, the, the truth is somewhere in between. Mm. We have to encourage internal constraint. That's what our religion and our morality help us to do. That's what our families and our society help us to do, is to con- you know mm. make those internal constraints stronger and stronger. But at the same time, we need laws. We need jails. Mm. We need police. We need external constraints because there are just going to be some people Mm -hmm. without internal constraints and there's just going to be some people that just let loose too much and they need a fear Mm -hmm. that's sufficient so that if their internal constraint doesn't work, they're scared out of their mind, they'll be thrown into jail and so they don't do it or nowadays they just worry about getting caught
0: and, there's, but, uh, a, and anyway. there's a consensus of society so there's a, there's this societal pressure too mm-hmm. to conform in that in in a positive way you know I was wondering with yeah. uh, mm-hmm. with Hobbes I don't know what a picture of him but maybe he was maybe he was uh Ugly, short, and brutish, or some brutish and short. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> no. maybe, that, maybe that's how his description no. came of life because he looked in the mirror. I don't know, but you know, it's possible.
1: Oh, well, I think he was. <laughs>
0: no, <laughs> I think he was just one of those skeptical English
1: guys who who basically had a a, a very utilitarian view. Mm, um, you right. know, and and uh, boy, he had a you know. I, I don't think Hobbes, uh, you know, or, or Machiavelli believed in a soul at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think Rousseau uh, was a different uh, character. Certainly, in the Catholic tradition, we do. WE CERTAINLY BELIEVE IN A CONSCIENCE, WE CERTAINLY BELIEVE IN FREE WILL, Mm -hmm. WE CERTAINLY BELIEVE THAT THERE ARE INTERNAL CONSTRAINTS THAT COME FROM OUR RELIGION, FROM GRACE, FROM MORALITY, AND Mm. FROM OUR FREE WILL. AND YOU PUT ALL THAT TOGETHER, AND MOST PEOPLE WILL PRETTY MUCH DO THE RIGHT THING. I MEAN, SOME PEOPLE WILL SWIPE, YOU KNOW, SOME ERASERS FROM THE OFFICE, WHATEVER, AND THINGS LIKE THAT. BUT BY AND LARGE, PEOPLE AREN'T GOING TO DO MAJOR STUFF. Mm -hmm. Uh, to undermine their lives, to undermine the lives of their family, to undermine the lives of the people around them. Um, Your laws are there for people who really have decided they're going to step outside those uh, internal constraint mechanisms. So Father,
0: uh, do people still use erasers? (laughs)
1: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, used, I used a classic example there. Uh, no, a, a flash drive. Sorry, okay, it's still a flash okay. drive.
0: <laughs> okay. I, was, I was wondering there. Okay. Uh, next <laughs> up, uh, dear Father Spitzer, abortion okay. is strongly polarized with people, either for or against, with very few on the fence about the issue. Do you think the use of graphic pictures of abortion is a valid tool to show supporters what it's, what they are actually supporting and change their hearts on the issue, Helen. Well, uh, Helen,
1: here's my view. I I think that um, uh, graphic pictures don't do that much, uh, to be honest with you. And frankly, um, I mean, it is grotesque, it's terrible. People look away. BUT THE UNFORTUNATE REACTION, ESPECIALLY YOUNG PEOPLE WHO HAVE BEEN TESTED Mm -hmm. BY LOOKING AT THESE THINGS, THEIR REACTION IS TO GET MAD AT THE PERSON SHOWING THEM THE PICTURE Mm -hmm. INSTEAD OF GETTING MAD AT THE HORRIBLE PRACTICE THAT LED TO THE PICTURE. NOW YOU SAY, WELL, THAT'S TRANSFERENCE AND IT'S NOT RIGHT, BUT THAT'S WHAT THEY DO. Mm -hmm. SO YOUR QUESTION IS, DO YOU THINK THAT IT HELPS? I DON'T THINK IT HELPS THAT MUCH. IN FACT, IT COULD BE GALVANIZING uh, THE OPPOSITION because of the resentment. Frankly, I think the right way to do this is to prove the case, um, not only biologically, but spiritually, that human beings um, are uh, not only uh, have an intrinsic uh, dignity, but also inalienable, an inalienable right to life. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's every human being. And the reason that they have an inalienable uh, right to life is because if it is a human being, um, you know, first of all, the religious argument used by our founding fathers, God created that person with those inalienable rights to life, liberty, and property. Uh, if you want to put it as a natural law mm-hmm. argument, Uh, when somebody has rational faculties and has freedom uh, to choose and has the freedom of creativity, et cetera, et cetera, that human being has transcendent value. You cannot treat them like a mere material entity. They are obviously an immaterial entity. Whether you want to call that immateriality a soul or not, Mm. Clearly, human beings perform transcendental activities. And insofar as they do, you owe them the right to that freedom, that life, uh, or what we call liberty, that life and that pursuit of happiness where they can actually uh, make a way for themselves and their families, and even enough property to protect them. That's what we owe to one another. Mm -hmm. And therefore, if you deprive them of that, you deprive them of their humanity and precisely the transcendental aspects Mm -hmm. of their um, humanity, you deprive them of that, and you're saying, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to let a human being be human. Well, that's unjust. That's the most fundamental thing you can do, is to deprive a free person of the right to act freely, to live, Uh, you know obviously if you don't have to worry about acting freely uh, if you don't if you can't live uh, Mm -hmm. to be able to think what you're going to think and of course to pursue happiness for the sake of yourself and your family and of course the only reason that you would constrain an inalienable right is if Mm -hmm. that person is violating the inalienable rights of somebody else and that is the only thing that has ever been permitted as a rationale Uh, for violating rights. If that that person loses their rights, if they violate an equal right on the part of somebody else. Mm. So if a guy goes around and says, I'm going to kill you, well, then, uh, according to the law, now we're not talking about Catholic theology here, Mm. uh, you know, in the polis, you can say, well, sorry to say I'm going to have to incarcerate you, or if push comes to shove and it's you against me, I'm going to protect myself, and I have the right to kill you in order to protect myself. And, of course, the right of self-defense, etc., etc. So the point, though, that's pretty clear um, from the vantage point of the state um, is those inalienable rights should be sacrosanct um, uh, unless you violate uh, an equal right of of another human being. You try and take somebody's liberty rights away, they have the the right to uh, constrain you in your liberty rights to... To do that, you take somebody's life away, you are, you can be constrained um, uh, so that you will right. never do that again, um, and even, of course, it's been used uh, by states, not by the Catholic
0: Church necessarily, to justify capital right. punishment. Okay, right on the mark, mm-hmm. and right so we wrap up the show perfectly. Father, thanks so much for oh. answering that question, <laughs> and if you'd like to give us your blessing on the way out the door, that'd be great. Absolutely. And bow your heads and pray for God's blessing. And may the Lord of
1: all wisdom who has created you with such freedoms, with such morality, with such conscience, reflectivity, rational faculties and above all love and faith give you the inspiration of the Spirit to bring all of those things to fruition from rationality to love to faith so that you might truly enjoy eternity with him as he intended and all the blessed in heaven
0: in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Spitzer. Be well. And we shall see you next time. And likewise, we'll see you next time. And of course, Father Spitzer's books and DVDs are always available through our EWTN religious catalog, EWTNRC.com for all those holy reminders. And we'll be answering more of your questions next week. So keep sending them to us at Spitzer's Universe at EWTN.com. And don't forget, every week we've got a great book, hopefully on a wonderful interview I get to do with some wonderful Catholic author. That's on Bookmark Sundays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. And of course, Father Spitzer's Universe is always available as a podcast on EWTN's Podcast Central. Go to EWTN.com forward slash radio and click on podcast. You can listen to Mother Angelica, Father Spitzer, all your favorite programs from radio and other great uh, EWTN and non-EWTN hosts on Podcast Central. I'm Doug Keck. We'll see you next time in Father Spitzer's Universe. Be well.